Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. Today, it's our monthly opportunity to talk with Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles. She and City Council have been busy working on the city budget plans for the Uptown bus station, the larger transit plan, and setting priorities for the coming year and much more. And that gives us a heck of a lot to talk about this hour. Mayor, welcome back. Nice to see you. Good morning, Mike. It's great to be here. It's been about a month since we last talked. As you said, we've got a lot going on right now. Before we talk about all that, let me bring up something that came across uh, yesterday late. Yesterday, the Observer released a story about your intention to demolish a house that you bought in Macquarie Heights. The story says that you bought the house knowing that it was a fixer-upper but intending to live in it and decided after you got into the fixing-upping part uh, that things were so wrong with the house that it would be uh, less expensive and, and wiser perhaps to to tear it down. And I think anybody who's watched those fixer-upper shows on television know the problems you find when you start tearing things apart. Um, But there is this question about the demolition permit. You got it, I think, five days before city council uh, decided to designate Macquarie Heights as an historic neighborhood. Is all of that accurate? Uh, Yes, all of that is accurate. And I, you know, I I think people forget, as mayor, I have one responsibility and I take that much more seriously sometimes than I do my personal business. And so I've owned this house since August of last year. It's almost been a year, but actually getting the time to get with someone to talk about what needs to be done, to get the architect, to get all of these rules and things that we are have to follow. I just let the time slip by. And so when I had that August moment, I said, let's get this done because I, this neighborhood's really important to me. It's a neighborhood where um, if I have the opportunity to live there or when I have that opportunity, it'll be the fourth generation of Alexanders that lived in Macquarie Heights. And the house that we're talking about is a family home. You know, I, I adore my grandchildren and I want them to understand the heritage that their grandpa left for them. And so for me, it was a matter of just time and effort But more importantly, I guess, sometimes I think more with my heart than my head. But as the prior owner said um, on yesterday, you know, the house has some structural foundation issues. And that's not, I think I use the word practical about it. I've got to comply with every rule for the covenants, which are really more restrictive than the um, historic district rules. And I'll do that because this is a place I'm building as my retirement home, a place that I want to live. I want to live in Macquarie Heights. So I know it's a story, but um, for me, it's about my family and who I am and what I want. Well, let's get the timeline uh, accurate here, and, and because that seems to be, I don't think anybody has a problem with you buying a house or fixing it up or tearing it down, except for the fact that it came at five days before the city council decided that Macquarie Heights was a historic neighborhood. So had that designation been in place when you bought the house, would you have been able to tear the property down? Yes, you ha- there's a process for demolishing the property in the historic district rules. So yes, there. if you go over there, I think there's concern about the kind of house that you build back. And so in the neighborhood, there have been several houses that are sh- built 
um, what we call Mac mansions or, or, you know, new modern designs. And that starts at the Five Points area coming back to a neighborhood that was, you know, basically ranch houses. So I'm going to comply with the, um, the covenants and the requirements to keep the house consistent with how the neighborhood looks. And they're very specific requirements. For example, you have to go out to the middle of the street and you look around the middle of the street a certain amount of feet and you can look at the houses around and then you have to choose which house you want to be most similar to. So I've, I've done a lot of this work, but time and um, is often an issue if you understand how much time I devote to this position, as well as how much time do I actually have as a develop as to develop this new house? Well, this re this really about. isn't an issue uh, unless it's unless it's about taking advantage of your position, and I think that's. What I we did need not to take advantage of my position. I bought the house in August. It's just a matter of getting a. Imagine with the growth and construction, how hard it was to find someone to actually um, do this work and 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 all of that. It's just. Right. I, so, I, I want to say this. I really want to live there, but it's also, you know, a choice that the neighbors made. And I understand what I really have appreciation because I knew the family that lived in the house. It, it was important to them. But I also know that the practical nature of building something that's, you know, 50 years old um, and having to redo it all the time, it's not as easy so as most it, people. So in your mind, is this a story? Has this become a story because you want to tear it down and you made the, the, the decision to tear it down five days before city council declared McCrory Heights an historic neighborhood? Or is this a story because uh, some people in the neighborhood have now signed a petition to stop the demolition, 226 uh, signatures on that petition as of 315 yesterday afternoon. Uh, is that why it's a story? Because neighbors have complained? I, I do think it was a story. Um, I think there was a change in leadership in the neighborhood association between the time that I talk with them and what's going on. But I can't say that for a fact. That's what okay. I, you know, sometimes you're told these things, but you know, it is do what you, it is. Do you plan to contest the petition? No, I do not plan to protect. Um, no, I do not. So if, if they I, don't want you to tear it down, are you going to not tear it down? No, it's going to be torn down. Okay. Well, I'm not, well, that's a story for another day, I suppose. If you're not going to contest the petition, but you're still going to tear it down. That's a, uh, what, what are your plans? In the best of all possible worlds, when it's done, how will it fit into the neighborhood? It will fit in the neighborhood according to the historic district rules and the covenants of the neighborhood which have been in place since 2005. The historic district came much later. As I said, the covenants in the neighborhood are more strict. But here's my vision for it. At some point in life, all of us retire. And at some point in life, I want to retire in a neighborhood where I know people, I know what's around it, and I want to retire where my family is close by. And that's important to me, and that's what I want to accomplish. So the house is a part of following the rules. The house and the home are very different. I want to live there. I want to be close to the goal line. I want to take advantage of Johnson C. Smith classes and audit them. There's so many things going so well on the west side. Why wouldn't anybody want to live in that community?
Okay. And that's true. You can see the changes taking place. So let's move on to what we were here, here to talk about in the first place, and that's all the stuff that City Council and you have been up to over the past several months or past several weeks. Let's start with the budget. You've been in budget meetings for weeks now, and one thing that has emerged is this news of a possible property tax increase. Where do we stand on that? I think that we'll stand uh, with the idea that this community for four years has not had a tax increase since the last revaluation. I want to say that I listened to your reporter, Lisa, today as she talked about the impact of the changes that are going on with the um, quarters of opportunity and the shift in the taxes from commercial to um, residential owners and how that's going to work. The council is very much aware of this. And I think we're going to have some difficult conversations. I mean, the ones that really will make us get to the core of what services we can provide to this community with a tax um, rate that's neutral, or if we're going to actually try to identify other ways to fund these things. I, the list and the agenda for this budget, I hope people will pay attention because these conversations have to be held. In fact, I'd like to recommend that we go to the budget um, priority on our city website so that people can participate in what needs to be done, what programs we need to have. So I would hope that the survey is going to be online until March the 27th. Please participate and make your voice heard. It's hard in a city that's this big where people are so busy and working so hard for their families to be a part of this conversation, but it is an important conversation to be um, talked about among our community. We're just, so we're just I would assume that we're going to have a budget neutral option and we'll have other options, a revenue neutral option, and we'll have other options that will be difficult to prioritize and set. Revenue neutral, for those who don't know, uh, means that even though the tax rate might go up because of property valuation, which is going on right now at the city and county level, which is something that has to be done by law at a specified interval, that if you keep it revenue neutral, the rate might go up, but the actual taxes stay the same. We'll see what happens there. But we're coming out of a, a period of high inflation. Actually, we're still in it. Inflation went up again in January. Uh, although employment is high, wages have risen for some. And the Fed is doing a delicate dance to try to lower inflation without, without plunging us into a recession. So is now the time to even remotely consider a tax increase? Well, I don't know about remotely. I think you have to have every bit of information that you need to make a good choice. And so even if we have the um, revenue neutral, we have, we have additions that we'd like to make, or we also have to contend with the idea of inflation because the, revenue, the way the tax reval works is that it's not necessarily that everybody is treated um, the same. It's to really balance out between commercial and residential. And your, your reporter, Lisa, said that this is going to impact people that have income, houses valued at less than $200,000, $250,000. And that is a major consideration because that's our workers. Those are the people that we want to be able to stay in our city. So I'm not saying this is easy, but I think you have to have all the data to make it work. Yeah, we have to have that conversation. Lisa Worf will be on the program tomorrow because we're talking along with Malcolm Graham and others because we're going to be talking about the corridors of opportunity. And one of the areas of concern with any property tax increase is that a lot of these corridors of opportunity, as you fix them up, are becoming gentrified and therefore the property values increase and the tax values increase and maybe the taxes on those houses go up and that hurts people who can't afford it. And we'll talk about that at length tomorrow. 
tomorrow. You just you just summarized it so well. So thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing Lisa and Malcolm to have this discussion. So at this recent budget retreat, Malcolm Graham, the aforementioned Malcolm Graham, uh, made the observation that the city is growing. He says it's growing in leaps and bounds, and the goal is how do we pay for the growth? That left off the page to me because we've been talking about growth in this city since I have lived here and certainly since I've been doing this program. And every time we've talked about growth, it's been positioned by people in government at all levels as a good thing. If we don't grow, we die. And that growth pays for itself. Well, wait a minute. Malcolm Graham is asking, how do we pay for the growth? Doesn't growth pay for itself? Well, I... That that's a really great question, and it's a complicated <laughs> question. Um, and yes, growth does um, bring for us not just the tax value, but it brings commerce for um, small businesses. So when you think about a small business that opens up and comes to Charlotte and does something, think about Avid Exchange. It's not just the tax value that they bring, how many people they employ, what do they contribute to the overall economy for the city. So what I, I think that this is going to be a great discussion, because what we've got to level set is that, yes, it does not always pay for governmental services like we would like to, but it certainly gives us a vibrancy. It gives us more people and more opportunities for people to have good-paying but, but, jobs. But, but why doesn't growth uh, pay for itself? Because as more people come in, they're paying sales taxes, they're paying property taxes. Why doesn't that increase the revenue flows to the city and the county? I didn't say it didn't increase our revenue. It does increase our revenue, but does it increase the revenue to the kind of quality of life issues that people are talking about? Does it build all of those schools that we haven't built for years? No, when you come in new, you're contributing to the pieces of the pie, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're covering every part of what we are trying to accomplish as our city and county and governmental goals. So, and some of that is actually, you may come in and you may be building a house, but you don't pay taxes on the house until it reaches its maximum value. So it's a little bit more complex than saying that. And there is a lag time to some of this. There is definitely Mayor, a lag. Char- Charlotte Mayor Vialiles, our guest, when we come back, we'll talk about the potential for a one cent sales tax for transit. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on listener-funded 90.7 WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. Charlotte Mayor Via Lyles is with us for her regularly scheduled visit. Uh, we've been talking about what the council's been up to in terms of talking about possible tax increases. Eli Portillo, who works for us here at WFAE, has purported that we're kind of between the city of Charlotte's kind of between a, a rock and a hard place. Uh, on the one hand, you need more money to, to fund infrastructure improvements and to meet housing needs. But our tax rate is lower than Raleigh's and other uh, cities like our size. And if you raise them, the burden may fall more inequitably on lower income households. Is there an answer to that problem? I think you just framed the question very, very well. Um, I don't have the answer, but I think, again, this is one of those um, decisions that we have to make. If we depend only on our property taxes, then we are going to be in this situation for a very long time. As you know, as you said, it's a lag. It's, you know, governmental services, perhaps um, 
we've learned with the pandemic, things are shifting and what do we provide and how do we provide it? Um, as you think about it, you know, the county and the city have programs to help people that are um, seniors pay their property taxes. And so when you, would that have been something we thought about years ago? Probably not. But there's an interest in having people to stay in their homes. You have to express your values and then follow it with the dollars that you spend. And I think the expressing the values comes from our engagement with our public, with our residents, and to make sure that when we are talking about everyone, we use our equity lens, we look at um, who are who's in our population, are we educating more children that require more English language studies? These are things that come and go. Maybe one day it will level out. But right now we need to talk about what are our values and implement the programs that are most important. And that's why I said it's going to be a difficult budget year for us, but I think it's an important one. I want to reiterate something you said in the last segment, and that is you are seeking citizen input on this budget uh, through March 27th. And I believe you have a virtual comment session scheduled for later today. What kind of input do you, would you find you and council find valuable from people? You know, and how, how do people submit that input if they're not part of this session today? Well, I think we'll have continuous sessions. We're required to have public hearings, which are, you know, kind of like everybody talks three minutes. But I think that our community has become much more engaged. And I say that because we had a council committee that talked about how to close, drop the barriers to getting your comments inside. So we're doing more town halls. We're doing um, more opportunities to just comment virtually. We're using social media as much as we can. And I really believe that that has not just been on our side. I think the community and our residents are more sophisticated. They know how to do reports and get them in. They know how to call a council member and make sure that they're heard and they're presenting. You know, we've had groups come down and present us with action plans. We've got consistent training and planning going on in all of our corridors. So this isn't just a one time for the budget. It's going to be informed by months and months of work that these community groups and organizations and individuals are bringing to us. So that's why I think it will work. So council's been holding an, their annual strategy uh, meetings uh, recently, and let's talk about some of the things that have emerged from that. Transit money from the uh, Federal Infrastructure Act is something the city certainly has its eyes on. We need that money, as much of it as possible, to fund the transit expansion plans uh, for the Link Silver Line. But there's a lot to do uh, in order to be ready to apply for that money. What do we have to do first? Well, the very first thing we have to do is know that we're standing in, we're not in the line yet. Um, other communities, Austin, Houston, several other communities have a matching match to the federal funds. So the federal funds will require that you have a local match. And Charlotte has been talking about how to get that local match. And it's not just Charlotte, Mecklenburg County, because this is a conversation between the um, six towns in our, in our county, as well as the city and the county. And so we have to have a match to get in line with these other major cities to get the federal money. So that match would come, I'm, I'm taking it, from a potential one cent sales tax increase for transit. Is that right? That is the recommendation that we've had from our financial advisors 
and for a number of reasons, but we want to be able to um, put this, you know, I think a lot of people have said the sales tax um, have to understand we don't tax everything that's essential for um, people to live in our community, but we would tax, tax according to the state law, those goods, and we would follow that with a 1% sales tax. We have got a half cent sales tax right now. We, with the financing of this effort, which is so important for our vision, if we're gonna to continue to have the mobility that we need to have for people to get to work, the mobility that people have to have to move around the city, we're going to have to have a source of income that works. And the sales tax is the one that, um, with all of our advice has said that it can, it's the best to work. And after, all, and after all these strategy meetings, I'm told that your number one goal, your number one priority is mobility. So this one cent sales tax, uh, you, to do that, you have to get permission from the legislature in order to put that on a, a ballot for voters to, to say yes or no to. Uh, the city of Charlotte's own lobbyist, Dana Fenton, told council uh, that going to Raleigh with the transit plan that we have developed as it already exists would make it dead in the water dead on arrival in Raleigh, in, in so uh, insofar as asking for that one-cent sales tax referendum. And the last time you were here, I asked you about what House Speaker Tim Moore had to say when he was in town, his reaction to our transit plan. He dismissed it as too focused on things other than expanding our road network. He said it was too focused on bike lanes, on buses, and other alternatives to roads. And I asked you then for your reaction, and here is what you said. What I hope is that he'll give us a chance during the next several weeks to talk about Charlotte and how we plan to address the mobility for the region and to ask him for his feedback. I mean, I, I, I heard what he said, but I think that we can show him some data that says this is where we're trying to go. And then I would ask him, what can we do better? We all have to present to him the the problems in, that he has experienced, as well as those that we think we can solve, and ask him for his feedback, and that's what I hope to do. So have those conversations begun? Um, getting an appointment with the speaker is not a simple process, but we have had conversations in this office with his office staff, and I hope that we'll be able to do that in the next several um, weeks. I would say this, Mike, if we talk about it in the context of that um, message, I think Dana Fenton probably gets the number one quoted quote from the retreat, but I think what he really meant is that we can't go along Charlotte, the city of Charlotte can. Everything that we do is about Mecklenburg County and the adjoining counties. And what he was really saying is that we have to make sure that all of the people that currently work to make this work, which are on the towns and the city and the county in Mecklenburg, they have issues. And for example, on Monday, we approved an agreement with Concord Transit so that we could take people from the blue line to the um, old Philip Morris site in Concord and beyond that. So when we talk about this, what we're talking about is creating mobility for the region because workers do not know that there is a line on a map that says you're now crossing over into Mecklenburg County or Cabarrus County or Gaston County. So the quote is right. It, we as a group, if we go at this alone, we are not, what, what's that quote? Um, if you wanna be successful, don't go along to bring a group with you. I know it's paraphrasing, but it has to be done that way because we are trying to create a mobility 
for everyone in this region. So when is the last time that you or members of council had face-to-face personal conversations with House Speaker Tim Moore or Senate Majority Leader uh, Phil Berger? Uh, are those ongoing? Because we this this one cent sales tax has been looming large for years now. Have we? Has it been quiet, or have there been ongoing conversations? I think that um, this council is very much aware of the problem definition, which is we don't have the funding and the capacity. Yeah, but, is, but, is, but are they aware in Raleigh? I mean, it seems to me that uh, you said that you have not seen a great city survive without a great mobility system. And this week, Laurel Yo, I think that's how you say her name, Y-O-H-E. She's an assistant professor of bioinformatics at UNC Charlotte. She wrote an opinion piece in Sunday's Observer explaining why widening roads and adding lanes will not speed up traffic here. Does Raleigh, does Tim Moore, does Phil Berger, do they understand? understand that or do they simply not believe it? Oh, absolutely they understand it. These are the leaders of our state legislature. They understand the importance of mobility for Charlotte, but they also understand the other issues that are statewide. And so I ha- what we have to do is continue to make our case. And you ask, are we having these conversations face-to-face? I can tell you that, yes, I am aware of face-to-face conversations. Um, We are working very, very hard to make this understandable and practical for people to be able to, for us to be able to illustrate its value. So when we talk about this, yes, we are having face-to-face. The council is very much aware that we can't go at it alone. Um, I have to say, for example, this is an example of what I would say. Um, Connect Beyond, which is a major foundation effort for mobility out of the Central Line of Council of Governments, I am now co-chairing a committee with Mayor Hennett, Daryl Hennett, in Kannapolis. Now, Kannapolis is beyond Concord. So why, is, why am I working with him? Because those needs are not just about Mecklenburg County. It's not just about the MTC. It is about the region coming together. I've probably met with every mayor in this region. I have one more to go. I have to say that I do remember one that I need to speak with. But we are having these tough conversations. This is this is a generational issue. It's an issue that we should take seriously for the next 50 to 60 years. This window will be there. And so it's the just city... a matter of getting the support from Raleigh to do it. Exactly. So the city council has already voted to go to Raleigh to ask them for permission to put a one-cent sales tax hike on, uh, a, on, a, on, on a ballot. Are you saying then that when you go to Raleigh with this request, you're taking all these mayors and all these uh, local leaders from other counties with you or on a piece of paper with their signatures on it? Or are you going to go it alone and just say, this is what we need. This is what we want. Talk to these guys. They'll tell you that this is what we need, too. How are you doing it? Okay, so, Mike, the the, you, you sound like a staff person now that you're going to say, how do we do this in the process and procedure? Um, we are going to work with each other on a regular, ongoing basis to do this. That's why the MTC's role is so important. That's why the Connect Beyond and COG conversations are so very important. We had a, our first meeting, and Charlotte was talking about the sales tax, and we were talking about you know roads and, and, and sidewalks and bikeways and transit. And the guy from Anson County said, if I could just have a four-lane road in my county, that would be success. Now, you have got to consider that 
when you're looking at this as a statewide issue, as a regional issue for North Carolina, a regional issue for Mecklenburg County in our region. So these are the things that um, take time and effort and have to be planned. Yeah, but what's well, 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 then let's so talk about well, let's talk about the okay. Well, let's talk about the plan because you, the council voted to go to Raleigh and ask for a one cent sales tax. We've already been told by Raleigh they don't like our plan. Uh, Marcus Jones, the city manager, has suggested that one alternative, one compromise might be to front load the, the plan, putting road improvements ahead of transit. But when he suggested that and he was seeking uh, council's advice on this, some said it looked a bit like a, a little bit like a sleight of hand to try to kind of fool House Speaker Tim Moore. I don't think he's going to be fooled. So what compromises have been made already? What compromises are you willing to make? What compromises do you think you'll have to make? Okay, compromises. I think the compromise that adds the um, value to our region for our continued ability to get people to work and having a housing that they can afford is one that as long as we stay, and I've said this, as long as we keep our values of who we're trying to serve, we will compromise. And that's an important thing to do. We will also compromise because we know that um, there are areas that are in things that are immediate needs for us, for example, you know, we immediately need more sidewalks. So when we talk about this, I, I, I don't even like the word front loading, because what this means is that just think about the sequencing for this. And I say this to our, our, our entire community. If we had the sales tax authorized today, we'd still have to have a referendum. After we have a referendum and the referendum is successful, we have to acknowledge that with the federal government. Then we have to start planning. So when we start collecting this tax, why not spend it on the things that have the greatest needs for the communities that we live in? None of this is frivolous. This is all about the value that we have for making sure that our sidewalks are safe, that we have bike lanes. We need, there are roads that we also need. So let's go ahead and acknowledge that and say we would be collecting the sales tax for a mobility plan, not a transit plan, because it will take us some time to develop those opportunities. So we have to get to the federal government to say, here's the choice. Here's the money we're going to use to support it with your contributions. And then we start building. So we know that the red line is an important aspect of this. We're working with the railroads. We're working with sil the silver line. Matthews, the educational system, all of this is like right in front of us. We just have to organize it and make it work and make it work for everyone. Well, there are a lot of moving parts and, and the, money's not, the money is not going to be there forever from the federal government because, as you say, there are communities around the country who want to put their hands in the pie and take out a, a big chunk of it. What do you right. see as the time? What, what's the, what, what is the timeline? What is... When, I, when, I, when do our opportunities end if we, if we drag our feet? Um, I think that the most important thing is to get it right. And getting it right requires time and, and effort and communication. But I do think at some point we will see congestion um, like Austin. And I will tell you the number one reason that Austin says that they were successful with their funding recommendation was because traffic had gotten so bad. I don't want to be in a city where the traffic has gotten so bad, you're desperate to get a already, funding. It already has. <laughs> well, 
I I agree in some parts of it, but I but I also think that where we were successful in our discussion around mobility is that we're looking at where the jobs are. Charlotte um, and Hire, Charlotte Hire is a program where we're actually doing an analysis of where do people work and where do people live. So this, I'm going to say this: the council recognizes the need, and and they're in our um, legislative package that was approved, the need for the sales tax it would be great to have it authorized this year, but we have to prepare for that with everyone as a part of it. And we have to do this. We deadline is 2026 for federal government infrastructure money. So we've got that as a deadline. A couple more things to talk about that in terms of the money that's already been set aside for road building and other projects like that, and the fact that inflation is now getting away in the way, in the way of that. Plus, we'll talk more about transit and term limits and more when we come back at Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. Hey, Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFAE.org in our monthly conversation with Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles. We've been talking a lot about transit and roads and one-cent sales taxes to support it all. Inflation has impacted everybody listening, and it certainly impacted the city as well. Uh, one of the areas that maybe may have been most affected are sidewalks and traffic safety, I'm told. As you put together the 2024 budget, voters already said yes to bonds that would bring in money for those projects and others. But inflation may make some of what we've already said yes to unaffordable. How much more expensive are these street improvements going to be? Um, Mike, anything that um, uses a commodity that's identified in this um, time period of inflation will impact the city as just like it will impact the people that live here. And it's not just us, it's all developments. Um, if you watched our budget workshop, you saw that um, we have a concrete issue. Um, concrete costs a lot, and I did not know this. I did not know that concrete for sidewalks versus concrete for roads and for other uses all have different components that have to be used. But that's one of the simple ones that I can say. Concrete is that is a it is a is suffering or our cost for concrete. Is, be, is suffering because of inflation. That means our sidewalks cost more. That means that the roads that we anticipated and included in our bond referendum cost more. But the city um, manager and his team, who are way smarter than me, um, have talked about how to deal with this. So we have an advanced planning policy that actually looks at um, projects that are coming up and we look at them to say, how much of planning can we do so that we are consistent with what we need to do for adjustments in cost and scope? And that planning, advanced planning methodology has served us well because I believe that we have some capacity in our debt service that's probably close to around $70 million to be able to address those commitments that we made to people that are, voted for our bond referendum. So. I think we're in good shape, and I think that good shape is because of the wise council um, adopting these policies and programs and the management team implementing them. But roadways and streetscape projects are going to be difficult because the construction costs 
are where they are. But we also, I remember there was a time that plywood that was $15 at, in the store went up to 40. Now it's down to 15. We're hoping that as the federal government addresses this concern across the country, that we'll see some of these material costs coming down. Some of them are trending down now. So that management tool is absolutely essential to a healthy way to do our capital investments. So last month, the Metropolitan Transit Commission voted in favor of a below-ground concourse for the Charlotte Transportation Center, the Uptown Bus Station. Uh, CATS also favors that option. There was some initial resistance to this by members of council. Have they made a final decision on this? Are they going with the underground station? The rec council has approved um, the recommendation from the Transportation and Planning Committee for the development of the concourse. And we're now in negotiations in terms of what we're going to put, but the final design is still up for debate as it will be concourse style, but we have to look at this design. It's gonna be more than just deciding it's a concourse style. It has to be um, designed in a way, and just like you would with any other project, look at the details, make sure that the engineering is right, the materials that are in the, you know, that's been a long time bus station. And a lot of our buses um, use oil and fuel. There are you know, all kinds of environmental issues that we have to make sure work. So I think that what we're looking for is the beginning of a project that we all want to be proud of at the end of the day. That plan, the underground plan, and I think one of the other plans also includes the addition of retail and hotels and restaurants and a Hornets practice facility. And last week, a consultant told council that the naming rights for that adjacent Hornets practice facility and for something called the Festival District that I want to talk about between the Spectrum Center and the NASCAR Hall of Fame and going right down uh, uh, Brevard Street could bring in hundreds of millions of dollars to the city in terms of revenue. Will that news that revenue generation is possible with naming rights influence whatever decision the council makes about this bus station? Well, I think this is a really interesting thing. You know, we're we're beginning to see how the economy changes and what people value and what they want to see done. I think on our council, we'll have some people that are all into this. It's like, you know, we want kiosks. We want to be able to touch screen. We want this to happen because it's all about 5G and it's about how we do things that are cool and modern. And then there's the other part of council, maybe a little bit like me, that's like, what is this and how does it work and how do we look make this work? So is it the right thing to do? What does it mean? So I, I'm going to just say that we had a presentation. We had a person come in and tell us what the future might look like. And now we have to convince ourselves that it will look like that. The Festival District. I'd never heard of that before last week. We'd heard of the Entertainment District that you and David Tepper had discussed if he was going to put the... Uh, uh, the, the soccer thing at Eastland Mall, and they were going to take the Gateway Center area to the stadium and make it that an entertainment. This is different. Whose idea was the festival district, and are, are you on board with it? You know, um, I'm, I'm like you, that it is an idea that has to be proven. It has to be an idea that people see the value in. That has to be an idea that costs out, um, that makes the, you know, the pencil out for what we're trying to do. So we just have to wait and see. And I don't know the, who has the festival district name. I don't know if it's a part of our new 
technology language you know it's kind of like what do you talk about with technology and how people use the words i have to catch up i'm sorry i just really okay. have to catch up on All right. that one. I, have, I have a couple of topics i want to hit in the next seven minutes so we got to we're gonna but this is the speed round okay uh, since mobility ranks at the top of your list of priorities you have I, you must have been gratified to learn that the cat's driver strike was averted by a vote of 200 to 10, they ratified the contract they were offered. We talked about this last Friday on the News Roundup. We also talked about it with Brent Cagle, the CEO of Cats at the moment, who said he didn't know the particulars of what was in the contract. I don't know that you do either, because the contract is negotiated by a company called Rat P. Dev. Uh, since the ratification, has council or you or anybody in city government been given the details of what they said yes to? You know, Mike, I listened to that roundup, so I know this is a speed round, but I want you to know that um, our ATP dev did present to the MTC in March of this year. And it was all about establishing reliability and how do we use the bus system. So in this case, if you read the agreement that creates the MTC, what the city does is provides the funding parameters, and then that is comes through the CATS Enterprise Fund. In a large way, it's like asking, do you know how much the airport has in its Well, budget? the city has to pay the bill on this. The city pays the bottom it, line it, bill. So if they gave the drivers a, a bunch of concessions, including pay raises, you got to know what you're paying for. And if you can't afford it, you have to say no, and that throws the whole thing into turmoil. So do you, does anybody know what's in that contract? I believe that RPRT, oh my gosh, you now you've got me saying this, that, right. um, that we are trying to, um, we have the accountability towards the transit fund and the half cent sales tax that is dedicated to that operation. And we know that we are within the funding parameters for that. Okay. The council, um, we're, you know, you're, we are looking at management companies and we'll have an RFQ for that. Um, we'll be doing something about it, but I think that if you asked um, this question to most people, we would say, well, you know, it's the half cent sales tax is paying for that. Has, has, has council ever had a meeting with this company face-to-face, Rat P. Dev, ever? I don't think so. I don't think that this really became how, an issue. How is that possible? Well, I think that they approved the contract on a five-year basis. Um, I think that it's hard enough to be in this role and understand everything about it. And I have to say... I knew that there was a contractor and I know that how it generally works, but I would say to you that it's, it's something that until we got through this pandemic, that wasn't a finance issue. And I'm not even sure it's a finance issue now, as much as a reliability of service issue, a safety issue for riders and the drivers. I think it's basically that. Um, I think that looking at the numbers are important, but I think what's more important is that we have to assure that we have adequate services for the sales tax that we're collecting for it. And as you said, uh, you'll be sending out RFPs uh, or whatever you call them, RFQs, uh, uh, for an, an, a, new, a new company. And RATP Dev would be included. They would be invited to the table to propose because their contract is up in a year. They, they, yes. would, they would be invited, as I understand it, to come back and pitch for a re-up on that contract, as well as other companies. Is CATS making that decision by itself? Will the city council be involved in it? And if so, what would you be looking for? So let, let's start off with the, the basics here. 
remember this is a regional countywide service. So the MTC definitely has a role to play. The councils for every one of our towns, including Charlotte, has the ability to comment and make suggestions around it. But I want I want to be clear that you know this is the MTC's role to um, do these kinds of things. I'm sure that they will work. This this is not a conflict. This is a workable plan that has been around for a while. Anything that we need to change for efficiency or information, we will. But it will be. Um, a proposal that will be done with CATS that's located and um, it, the procedures and the policies are covered by CATS and the decisions for how we do and what we do for service is work with the MTC. City Council returned to an old topic uh, on, on Monday night and voted to move toward doubling the length of their terms from two to four years. At-large Council Member Braxton Winston says four-year terms are needed because of the time requirements posed by issues like affordable housing and transit. Not having to run every two years, he says, will give them that time. This is work that continues to get interrupted. This structure, four-year term, with a stagger, allows for continuity. continuity. Right. And Braxton Winston was among members voting yes. But Republican uh, Tariq Bakari voted no, along with Ed Driggs, Malcolm Graham, and Marjorie Molina. Bakari says this is not a burning issue among voters. Never once has that come up. No one has ever said, you know what, Tariq? The thing I want is less touch points to be able to hold you accountable. So he brings up an interesting point. Uh, when this has come up in the past, every time it has come up in the past, voters have said no. Uh, given the growth of the city and the increasing complexity of this city, do you think voters will view it differently this time? I can't speak for the voters, but I can speak when you have a divided measure like this. The vote was six to four, as you noted, who did not support it but everyone else did, doing this is going to be a challenge because most of our bond referendums that we have, we have um, the city cannot advocate for this. It is a position that you have to organize a group of people that care deeply about the issue to raise the money, to inform the public. I think that's going to be a challenge for it. And considering the other items that we have on our agenda, particularly for mobility, I believe that people are asking us to solve the traffic problem. Maybe if we get that done, if we get the mobility stuff, mobility projects done, we'll have a little bit more um, time to devote to how we administer these things well, and address some of these difficult questions. Well, because of COVID and problems with the census uh, and I think districting, et cetera, you and the previous council had an extra year on your last term. You served three, not two years. Did you find that helpful? Was it easier not to have to run in the middle of that second year uh, for, for, for re-election? I, I don't really know the answer to that because the job is the job. I mean, even if you run in November and you're elected, December 1, you got to hit the ground running. So I don't know that the four-year terms made a difference. But I would say that we should not take anything for granted with COVID. Everything is different as a result of it. And some of this, I think, is about the idea of how do we communicate and how do we um, have engagement. All of this is different. And people have differing opinions. But at some point, the bottom line is that we will have to have a vote and citizens will need to vote what they think is important. There is a public hearing on these matters scheduled for March the 13th. 
And I expect that people um, will have differing opinions, but at some point we will have to make this decision and it would be subject to a referendum in November. And I just wonder how we'll prepare for that. As you say, that's March 13th, a public hearing on that, and it will include information about Micah, before we go to the next, I know we only have a few minutes, but the listening session for today's um, today is now canceled because we've had some staff issues that are not well. I hope it's something that they will recover from quickly. So we're going to do this March 14th, 6 to 7, in person at Eastway Park Drive. So it's March 14th, 6 to 7 p.m., in person at 3150 Eastway Park Drive. Okay. Thank you. Uh, before we run out of time, and we're going to run out of time in 45 seconds, you were supposed to have been here last Wednesday, but you couldn't because you spent Tuesday night in Washington watching the State of the Union address at the Capitol. Uh, Alma Adams invited you to be there. Uh, what was your impression of the, the, the room and the speech and the atmosphere? The room is smaller than it looks on TV. <laughs> the atmosphere was one of, I think that the, it started off very collegial, but quickly moved into things that were different. And what, one of the things that I learned is that the brighter the, the women, the brighter the dresses and the clothing that they wear, wear, they're more often on TV. Well, that is true. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene and who's the uh, cinema, Kristen Cinema, yes, the bright yes. yellow uh, outfit. Um, it was uh, amazing. How, to how see loud in, the, in the, the hall? In the hall, how loud were those cat calls? Um, the late they were they were loud enough to be heard. Um, okay. You're in the gallery on the third level. They're on the second level. What I found amazing in this Very to quickly. put the Joint Chiefs, the the everybody. It's just it's amazing to watch, and I was I honored. Thank you, Alma, for Adams for inviting. I wish we had more time. We don't. Thanks for the hour. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.